God wants you to know. God created us understanding that he had everything we needed. There is nothing you need that God did not anticipate when he created you. So just hang on and hold on and know that God knows just where you are and he can take very good care of you. Isaiah chapter 61 verse 1 says this, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord had anointed me to preach good tithing unto the meek. He had sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to them that are bound. So that's Isaiah 61 verse 1. Now, when Jesus was uh, speaking these same words in Luke, he was quoting that passage, Isaiah 61. He, he quoted it again in Luke chapter 4, verse 18. Uh, the Bible always backs up itself here. And there's a scripture that says, in the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word shall be established. So the Bible will not just give you one word in one place without giving you the same word someplace else. And so Luke chapter 4 verse 18 says this, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he had anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He had sent me to heal the brokenhearted. Somebody say heal the brokenhearted. In case you're wondering if God doesn't care about your broken heart, you don't have to worry anymore. So if your heart broken about something, don't you worry God wants to heal you, right? To preach deliverance to the captives. So if you're bound up in a situation where you feel like you just can't get out every place you turn, you feel like there's no way out of a situation, God wants to deliver you from that situation. And the recovering of sight to the blind, he wants to get you to see not only physically, but spiritually. So sometimes, no, we're not able to perceive spiritual things. Somebody might tell you something spiritual and you might say, what are they talking about? Well, you might say that because you spiritually are blind. There's people that spiritually are blind and no worries. If you're spiritually blind, that's a small thing for Jesus because he wants to give you sight. But also if you're blind physically, he wants to also give you your sight physically so you can see. To set at liberty them that are bruised. So here he goes again talking about somebody that are bruised. So if you're broken hearted or you're bruised from a situation, God wants to heal you tonight. You don't have to leave here tonight without being healed, without allowing God to heal you. Remember I said that we need healing because something is not functioning right if it's spiritual, something is not functioning right with us spiritually. If it's physical, something is not functioning with us right spiritually. And if it's emotional, then something is not right emotionally. And so tonight we're going to deal with emotional healing. Deal with emotional healing tonight. Emotional healing begins when we become honest with ourselves. I need you to work with me tonight. I, I need you to be honest with yourself tonight, okay? Because if you don't become honest, you will not start the process of emotional healing. Uh, 
many times we're not healed because, or just in general when we come to church, we don't receive, as we talked about this past Sunday, what we ought to receive because we're not being honest with ourselves so we can be honest with God. If you're not honest with yourself, you can't be honest with God, and God can't operate in a lie. So whatever you're doing in a lie, whether you're lying to yourself or lying to others, God has no part in that. God says all lies come from Satan, and Satan is the father of lies. So when you start to deal in lie, God just back away. So if you're looking for God to deal with your situation emotionally, spiritually, physically, whatever way you're looking for God to deal with that, you're going to have to get honest with yourself first, then go to God with it. That's where it starts. So we're going to read some more scriptures, but we're going to go read a lot of scriptures here just for, you know, maybe, I don't know, 12, 14 verses of scripture, because we're going to read the story of the prodigal son. Because that's who we're going to draw from tonight to understand how we get bruised or how we get broken hearted and how can we receive healing. So Luke chapter 15 verse 11 is where we're going to go. And we're going to read some scripture text here tonight that will give us really good clarity in what God wants to do. So Luke chapter 15 verse 11 will give us some real understanding and real clarity in how we can be healed emotionally. Verse 11 says in Luke chapter 15, And he said, A certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. And he divided unto him his living. And not many days after the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country. So much to talk about in here. And there was wasted and there wasted his substance with riotous living. And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine. Whole lot to learn about this in the land. And he began to be in want. Verse 15, and he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his field to feed swines. Now, the Jews don't even eat pork. (laughs) And he would fain have filled his belly with husk that the swine did eat, and no man gave unto him. And when he came to himself, he said, how many hired servants of my father's have bread enough and to spare? And I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee. And am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said unto his, uh, said unto him, 
Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight and am more and, and, and are no more worthy to be called thy son. But the father said to his servant or servants, bring forth the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring hither the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. That's a lot of stuff in there. We're going to try to try to do our very best to look at some of the things that we just read a little closer so we can understand again how this emotional healing can take place in our life. Being honest with ourselves is significant if we desire to be healed emotionally. That's that might seem really academic or, or should I say preliminary or or very easy to think about that honesty is where it starts. But how many of us have become honest with ourselves about what's wrong in our life, what's going on in our life? Because the things that have transpired in our life are the things that have wounded us. And so we got wounded from different things that transpired in our life, but we won't be honest about it. And because we're not being honest about it, we can't get healed from it. And the way we live our life, we live it almost handicapped because we are walking around spiritually sick. And so we're living our life a certain way because we are spiritually sick and we're not living our life totally free the way God wants us to live our life free. So let's look at this thing a little bit deeper. The parable of the prodigal son detailed the son's descent into emotional turmoil as well as his journey towards emotional healing and wholeness. Becoming honest with ourselves is accomplished through three distinct steps. Tearing down our own emotional barriers, accepting responsibility, And then ending isolation. So there's three steps to dealing with our situation. When we become honest with ourselves, it accomplishes three things. It tears down our emotional barriers. So what we already know now is that when we're not emotionally well, we build barriers. How to function with one another. How to keep people at a distance. We build barriers on how to operate so nobody will know what's really going on in our heart. Nobody will know how we're really feeling. We build barriers. And so that's how we start operating. We learn how to operate according to the barriers that we have built. The other thing that we will experience when we become honest, we will begin to accept responsibility. Man, I can't tell you how big that is because a lot of times we don't realize that we allow just had a conversation with someone tonight. And, and, and it is just obvious and, and, and evident the more I talk to people that what happens to us has nothing to do with somebody else. This is a word that the Bible teach us that. Anything that gets destroyed, it got destroyed from within. 
Nothing gets destroyed from the outside. Everything that gets destroyed gets destroyed from within. Outside cannot destroy something. It's the inside that destroyed something. And so the first thing we have to realize is most of what our hurt is about, what happened to us emotionally, we allowed it to happen to us. Now, there you go already. That's offensive sometimes to us. What do you mean? Did I let somebody do this to me? Mm, that's how we think. How can you say I am responsible? I didn't tell them to do that to me. No, but how you responded to what they did is how you caused whatever is going on in your life to happen in your life. How you responded. Not that they, not that you told them to do something and they did it, but how you responded to what they have done is what caused you to be hurt or what caused you to now be experiencing this spiritual, this emotional sickness. So you have to take responsibility and realize, yeah, yeah, I played a part in that. And finally, you have to end isolation. When you are spiritually sick, you choose who you're going to hang with. Oh, you listen to me. You might as well go ahead and just take off the mask, set it to the side, and just begin to just get real and talk with me. Uh, when you are spiritually sick, emotionally sick, you choose who you deal with. Because that's part of the barrier that you've set up in your life. Because you don't want to expose yourself to certain people. So you know what? I'm going to make sure I don't go around them. So that's what I mean by you choose who you're with. You don't want people asking you questions. Because now you might have to deal with something you don't really want to deal with, which is that same situation you're hurt that you're experiencing. You don't want anybody to ask you about it. So you stay to yourself. So part of what you will experience when you're spirit emotionally uh, wounded is isolation. Uh, you might feel like, I'm not isolating myself. Yeah, but what you're doing is you're only talking to people and going around people you choosing. And if you're a Christian, that's W-R-O-N-G. You can't be a Christian and decide, I'll talk to you, but uh, I'm not going to talk to you. I'll be around you, but uh, I don't want to be around you. She too knows that she's always in somebody's business. That's what you do, but you know where that come from? You're spiritually, you're emotionally wounded. I am telling you. So you're emotionally wounded, and that's how you operate. That's what's called barriers. That's what's called barriers. You're wounded, so you don't mess with certain people. If you was healthy, bring them on. I don't care who it is. But because you're wounded, you have to defend a certain way. You have to guard a certain territory. So that's why you do that. The prodigal son story outlines how these three steps can be accomplished. After having lost everything from his inheritance with his friends, the prodigal son found himself at a dead end. Let me say this to you about the prodigal son that nobody knows because we don't, nobody knows, but let's just at least talk about it. This dude is with, is at home with his dad. 
Young people better hear this one real good. He's at home with his dad, you know, living his life, whatever. And all of a sudden one day, dad, I know usually when you die is when you give us our inheritance. I don't want to wait till you die. I want my stuff now. Why did he want to leave home? And why did he want to get his inheritance at that time? Well, the first thing I'm thinking about is the, the, the first issue is he wanted to leave home. What was going on at home? Why he wanted to leave? That's the question. Nobody knows that because we weren't back there. But he wanted to leave home. Is it because he felt like his dad was mean? Did he feel like his dad favored his brother? Did he feel like his dad was just making him do a lot of chores and, he, you know, just tired of it? What was it? We don't know. But once he decided he needed to go, he needed money to live on his own. These kids, man, they, they killed me. I'm grown. You only grown when you can take care of yourself. So don't, I don't care if you're 22, 25, 26, whatever it is. The age that you, you, they allow you to rent a car. That's probably the most grown you are. But, but don't tell me that you're grown, but you can't take care of yourself. And so the prodigal son was kind of acting like he was grown. Dad, I'm ready to go. I feel like I'm grown up enough, but can I get my money? It's not even yours. It's dad's money, but he was just going to give it to you once he's gone. But that tells you something is wrong. So that's where it all started. What was going on with him that he was building up some kind of animosity or some kind of whatever was going on? He was building up animosity. It hurted him. So he just wanted to get away from his family. These kids, I want to go to college far away from home. What was so difficult in your life? Why you got to go far away from home? They kill me with that. Like your life is really hard. It's really difficult. We need to take them somewhere overseas and let them see difficult. Over here talking. Ain't none of, if we had the opportunity to go to college here in America, there's nothing difficult about your life. But something was wrong with the prodigal son that he never dealt with. So I don't know what it was, but now bring yourself into that kind of thinking. That something started going wrong somewhere. You ignored it. You let it go. And one day it just got to the point where you said, enough is enough. I got to do something. It built up. Who allowed it to build up? That's my point. Was his dad a little tough? I don't know. Was his brother giving him a hard time? I don't know. We never read anything about the mom. I don't know what she was up to. Did she, you know, what was her story? But the bottom line is whatever was going on in that home, he allowed it to affect him. He allowed it. Is it wrong? Is it right for dad to, 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 to be mean to him? That's wrong. Is it right for his brother to be fighting him all the time and letting him do most of the work? No, that's wrong. But at the end of the day, if he became so messed up and upset about it to the point where giving my inheritance, I got to go. That's a him problem. And we got to stop and realize, as we talked about, the three things that must happen when we get honest. You got to stop and realize, take responsibility. Whatever is wrong in your life, you had something to do with it. It didn't just happen 
and you had nothing to do with it. The prodigal son found himself at a dead end. The only work he could find was tending to a sounder swine, animals that would have been repulsive to the Jews. This young man found himself both feeding and eating with the pigs. It is likely he never dreamed his life would come to this. Let me tell you something that we missed in that story in case you didn't um, catch it when we were reading it. After he took his inheritance and he started ha- having a good, you know, started living good, him and his boys, having a good time. The Bible says a famine came. Nobody knew the famine was. See, that's the kind of thing. I've kind of always lived my life this way and says, be careful of the unknown. This is this is a thought that I always and I tell a lot of people that you should if I'm not comfortable with the unknown, not touching it. And I'm giving you some I'm giving you some knowledge. If you are not comfortable with the unknown, do not touch it. You only go with the unknown when you got a little scripture to back up the unknown. Did y'all hear that? Because you got quiet on me. You deal with the unknown when you have scripture to back up the unknown. But if you're at a place where if you do something, you have no scriptural evidence as to what can happen, that's the unknown. I am not going in that kind of um, direction. Yes, ma'am. Say again. Hmm? Yeah. All, we, we have to, we have to, we have to. Look at it from that standpoint, especially the, the way the father greeted the son when he came back. O- only godly people can do stuff like that. Because in the real world, man, he would have hated that kid. Please. But, 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 but we have to realize that. that. That's very important for us to understand. So let's go a little further. It is likely he never dreamed his life would become to this. Yeah, because you can't anticipate every single move that will happen. So you make a move, other moves are going to be made, other things are going to happen, but you have no idea that they will. Understand this, what this story is trying to tell us. It's given us an example of our relationship with God. I hope you understand that that's how the prodigal thing was, was rolling. Our relationship with God. So what we ought to learn is trying to leave God and go on your own and do your own thing. Things are going to happen that you have no control over and they will happen because you left the protection of God. So he left the protection of his daddy's house. Was daddy a little tough on you? Probably. But don't let that be the thing to leave daddy's house. And so let me go a little deep into that just to mess with everybody. This church, we try to do it in the most godly way, the way our God wants us to do. And so one of the things that we want to see done is that there are growth, spiritual growth. And what that means sometimes is as you grow in God and become mature in God, you're going to look holy. Mm Mm-hmm. Dress holy, look holy. And some people are saying, I don't want to go to church where I got to look a certain way. Okay. 
I know that touching people in the, eh, why is that important? Listen, you will get mature as you go along. So I'm not going to tell you how to look. But what I will tell you is, as you live for God, you will become mature in God and you will begin to transition in a certain kind of way of how you want to present yourself as a child of God. But my point is, what is it that you will withhold from God? When are we going to get to a place where we do something and say, I'm doing this for God? I mean... We got to stop wanting to follow the pace of how this world is going as we're look, living for God. Following the pace of this world says, how can we make this easier? Just you, you've heard me said that and you're going to hear me keep hitting on it because we are following the pace of the world in trying to live for God. And the world pace says we got to make everything easier. Uh we got to make everything just 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 better. You know, that's what we call it. We got to make 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 things just a little bit better and easier. I'm trying to think of the word that I'm trying to think of and I can't think of it. But 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 that's how we want to operate. And so with that mindset of wanting everything better, here we go now, we come to God and we're, we're not willing to give any sacrifice to God because that's hard. Sacrifice is hard. And I don't want to do that. I don't think that's necessary. We even go to the place now where we're defining things. Let, just give, let me just touch this and come right back from it. For instance, we like to talk about ladies' pants and men's pants. Pants is pants, in my opinion. Ladies, you can keep on justifying it. There's a certain lady's pants and there's men's. You can go down that road yourself. All I'm telling you is you want to make it easy. Oh, y'all guys don't understand what we have on skirt, you know, and it's cold outside. You want to make it easy. Go ahead. I know this is tough, but I'm trying to help us get healed emotionally. And as long as we make excuses about anything that's that, that we need to get right, we're going to be stuck. And every time we try to make excuse because something becomes a sacrifice or it becomes a little bit more difficult than usual. Every time we make an excuse for that, we're putting ourselves back or we're just staying in one position and not able to be healed. Let me move on because. This is not that kind of church. You will not hear me keep telling you what to do because I'm not telling you what to do. I'm teaching you how God operate and what the word of God says. So when you come upon something, you will have an understanding of how God operate and not me telling you because all of you know I've never came to you and tell you what to do because I'm not that kind of guy. God says the shepherd leads the sheep, not drive the sheep. So driving means I'm behind you telling you, go, you better do this, move on. That's driving, leading. I go out front and I keep walking. It's up to you whether you follow or not. And that's where I am. I'll lead you. Trust me, I, I, I'll, I'll lead you according to the word of God. It's up to you to follow. Mm-hmm. The series of selfish choices, choices had left him wallowing in a muddy pen with dirty pigs. Series of selfish choices. Every time we have to do something because it makes us feel good or this is what I want. Selfish choice. Well, 
I work hard. Nobody don't understand what I've been through. I just need to. Selfish choice. Check with Jesus before you decide what you're going to do and find out. Because he wants what's best for you better than you want what's best for you. And so if you want to know if the choice is right, check with Jesus. You don't have to check with me. You don't have to check with anybody else. Just check with Jesus and you'll find out if your choice is right or is it you being selfish. So it was a series of selfish choices that left them wallowing in the muddy pen with dirty pigs. But when he came to himself, he realized how much better even the servants of his father's house had it compared to his life he was now living. So, as you can see, he thought, I just need to get away from home. Daddy is too tough. My older brother always getting on my nerves. They think I'm a cry baby. Because his mom probably babied him. He was the last child. So his mom probably babied him. And so his older brother, he's just like a baby. You're a punk. And then his dad would try to toughen him up by being tough on him so he wouldn't be spoiled. And so he just needs to get away. That's at the very least. I'm just going with the very least. And so he thought leaving home would be better than staying at home. Sometimes we think leaving the church is just better off than just staying. And God is trying to treat us like we, he's trying to do legalistic things among us. I'm at the point right now, if God want to be, want to treat me legalistically, he can. It's just me. I just know what he's done for me. I can't get past that. Anytime I get in a jam like, you gonna, I can't get over what God has done for me. And so that's my appreciation. That's, I live my life in appreciation for what he's done for me. And so whenever I feel like this is a lot or this is tough, I just stop and say, yeah, but what has he done for me? And I keep going. And I keep going. So he thought that, you know what? I need to get out of here. Things will be better for me. I wrote this down. Clearly, this is this. This is I, I made sure I made a distinction with this year. One of the tool the devil always used to mess our lives up is to make us believe that our situation is terrible and there is a better situ- situation for us out there. I've seen it. I've seen it. I've seen it. You have even heard or felt a certain way about doing a certain thing and you didn't do it. And you look back and say, whoa, I'm glad I didn't do that. Because that's one of the devil tactics that he always used is to make you think that you're missing out on something and your situation is not as good as it need to be. But if you will leave it and go to this situation, that one will be better. I got Bible for that. In the garden. God know if you eat the fruit, you will be like him and know good and evil. And that's why he's trying to tell you not to eat it. When Adam and Eve was in the garden, they only knew good. They didn't know evil. And the devil convinced them it's better for you to know both. 
this has been way back. This has been going on a long time that the devil wants you to be convinced that where where you are, your situation that you're in is so terrible that you better do something to get out of it. Obviously, I'm talking about a situation that's just normal and is just part of the struggle, part of the challenge that that situation brings. But the devil wants you to think it's just terrible. It's bad. Get out. He did that in the garden and he's still trying to do it today. He did it to the prodigal son. Your dad too tough on you, man. You don't need to stay home. Go on your own. You'll be better off. Dude didn't know a famine was coming. So he thought his inheritance was going to be good enough for him to keep him going and that he would be living good and everything will be fine. Didn't know a famine was coming. Coming to himself brought him to a point of desperation and he decided to get real with himself and his situation. He had constructed walls of pride and selfishness that had left him isolated from the true purpose in his life or the true purpose that was intended to be fulfilled in his life. When we don't understand our true purpose, we will leave our self open to make bad choices. When we don't understand our true purpose, we will leave ourselves open to make bad choices. How will you understand your true purpose? Who knows your true purpose? Not your mama, not your daddy. The creator of everything knows your true purpose. So here's the story. You can't leave him until he tells you your purpose. And I'm sure whatever your purpose is, make you have to stay with him anyway. <laughs> so, so, so you're coming to church two years, three years, five years, ten years. I don't know what my purpose is. Keep coming to church. Because the only way you're ever going to get that answer is the one that's the head of the church. He will tell you. Now, can he use anybody? Can he use other people to help you get there? Sure. But the only one that knows your true purpose is the one that created you. So you will never be able to get your true purpose outside of him. You can't. So when you understand true purpose, you will make better decisions in life. For instance, you hear me use this before. If you find out one day that God is calling you to be a missionary. And you know God is calling me to be a missionary. And you're single as God is calling you to be a missionary. But someone is interested in you. But God is calling them to be a teacher in a local church. Static. Stay right there. Teach right there. But that person is in love with you and you're in love with them. What do you do? That's what I mean by understanding your purpose, because if you don't know your purpose, you're going to be frustrated for a long time. Because now you decided, well, I'll stay static with the person I'm going to marry in the local congregation where every day we'll do our stuff. But all while you're doing that, you're tormented that you need to be in Brazil or you need to be in Nigeria or you need to be 
in Puerto Rico or you need to be someplace and you're just like, I can't stay here. And you don't understand why you can't stay here. Well, you didn't understand your purpose and you made a decision outside of your purpose. It's just that simple sometimes. So it's very important that you understand your purpose. The prodigal son had a purpose that he wasn't understanding. Right? And so he made a choice, a decision, that probably wasn't the best decision, all because he didn't understand his purpose. All of us in here need to understand our purpose. I can say it. I can say it. Listen, this is real talk right here. Not many people, it usually don't work this long, not many people stay under their pastor for 18 years before God called them to pastor. Usually when you stay under your pastor that long, usually that's just where you're going to be. There's a few, don't get me twisted, there's a few, but not many. And so over the years, I've met a lot of people. God called you to pastor. God called you to do this. God called you to do that. And they would tell me and I wouldn't move. Wasn't moving. Wasn't going anyplace. I just kept on going. Until I heard from God. Because you don't hear from God when you take yourself out of position. So that, that's, what, that's what the key was. I'm not going to put myself in a place in no man's land trying to do my own thing. And I didn't hear from God because some guy that we may say is a prophet or some guy we may say, you know, he hears from God, told you something. And now all of a sudden you're going to do it. And I just stayed in my place until I heard from God. And when I heard from God, then I can now go back to, yeah, so-and-so did mention that years ago. Yeah, so, but I didn't pay too much attention to it when I was being told that because I needed to be where I needed to be so God can speak to me. And when you take yourself out of position, you might not be hearing from God anymore. So you must know your purpose in God to make good decisions. And if you're not knowing what your purpose is, stay put until you know your purpose. Stay put until you know your purpose in God. To remedy his situation, he was going to have to let some walls come down. That's what he had to deal with to get at, to, to, to get things straightened out. Because now that he got himself in this situation, he now have to remedy the situation by letting some walls come down. To find emotional healing, every wall we have built must be torn down. Remember I told you, you'll only talk to some people, but not everybody. That's a wall. Don't forget that. And until you can freely talk to everybody, you're emotionally wounded and you need to be healed. Many times we dull our emotional pain by creating a false reality to live in. So some of us emotionally hurt, emotionally sick. But what we have done is now put up a false narrative in how we see things. The hurt is still there. The pain is still there. The wound is still there. But we we have put up a false reality that we're living in to say that we're okay. And as long as it's not a true reality, you're still wounded. You're still sick. We end up viewing the events and happenings in our lives through the through a lens that does not allow us to heal. 
So when you live in the false narrative, you are living your life through lenses that will not allow you to heal. Sadly, we oftentimes choose to ignore reality rather than deal with it. So sometimes we're just like not even dealing with reality. We don't want to deal with it. And that's sometimes how people get, you know, addicted to drugs, alcohol, um, pornography, different um, kind of lifestyle. We get addicted to it because we don't want to deal with the real world. We, we deal with uh, the false narrative. We deal with something that's not real. And so in order to deal with something that's not real, we need help. And the help could be the drugs, the alcohol, the pornography, the, um, you know, immoral lifestyle, because it keeps us in a fantasy world. And we don't have to deal with reality. Tearing down our walls of protection is a difficult task because it usually leaves emotional wounds exposed. You keep your walls up because you don't want to expose your wounds. And so that's why the walls don't move. But remember what I've been telling you. I'm living like this. I've been living like this. So listen what I'm telling you. If you will just realize what God says, we all have sin. We all have faults. I'm going to show you before we're done. We all have sinned and we all have faults. When the Bible tells you that and the Bible does, hold on to that. And that's when you know, I, I can let myself be exposed. I can, I, I, I can, I'm not going to worry about what people think about me. I'm not going to cover it up. You know, if something comes up and I need to pull you to the side and just explain to you something that may have transpired in my life, I'm okay with that. Why? Because if you stand there and act like nothing ever happened to you, then I know you're garbage. I wish I could say, I can't say anything. You garbage. If you want me to stand there and tell you what goes on with me and you stand there like you don't have any faults and you never sin, you garbage. I'm saying that just to let you know, don't you be intimidated in exposing what's wrong with you. You might not, I'm not telling you to reveal yourself to everybody that come along. I'm just saying, don't you think that you're so locked up in it and you're so bound by it that you can't get free from it and be healed from it because you can. You don't have to worry about that. Everybody that's walking this earth have faults and they have sinned against God. And when you make yourself feel like you're just the only one wrong, then you are outside of what God wants for your life. You're not the only one wrong. People know probably how to mask their stuff better than anything else we do in life. We know how to mask things really good. And so we're walking around like we're all good, but we're all wounded and hurt by so many different things. And the bottom line is we just have to go to God to get it taken care of. And you are smart when you are going to God to get it taken care of. And all the ones that's still walking around, listen, man, when you get delivered and you get healed, you start to walk around and smile and seeing other people wounded and hurt and playing the game, camouflaging it. You're just smiling like they better realize that they got to get themselves together. They can't keep walking around here faking it like they're fine when they're not. So when you get free, when you get healed, you'll be able to just feel good about it. So tearing down those protections is difficult task, but it 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 it, it exposed our our hurt, our wound. However, the harsh truth is 
that one cannot be healed while living in denial. You can't get healed while you're living in denial. You drink too much. No, I don't. Okay. You'll never get healed. I saw you smoking the other day. You ain't see me because I don't smoke. You'll never be healed. I'm just saying, that's the kind of stuff that we do. What do you, what do you care about? So just say, yeah, I've been hiding that for a while. Just say that. Yeah, I've been hiding that for a while. And you know what? Maybe God sent you here to say that to me so I can just get over myself and just expose it to God and get right. Yeah, I've been doing that. And I've been hiding that from everybody. When are we going to do that? Ugh. Emotional healing begins only after these walls are torn down. What are some of the walls we have put up to protect ourselves from emotional hurt? We put some walls up because we don't want that to happen. After we have begun to tear down the walls of protection against emotional hurt, we may have to accept some personal responsibility. We do not know all the reasons why the prodigal son demanded his inheritance and left the family from his point of view. Very important to look at. From his point of view, there may have been many reasons justifying his desire and need to leave. So we have our point of views as to why we do what we do, but it don't mean you were right. And the quicker you can realize this was a bad move, I was wrong, and I need to retract that and get this right. As soon as you can admit that to yourself, the better off you'll be. After coming to himself, the young man determined his best option was to go back home and confess to the father. I have sinned against heaven and you. He decided he was willing to accept the consequences of his actions. Two things I want to point out before I go to the next thing. He said before he came to his dad, before he met his dad, this is how it worked. While he was out in the street, friends are gone because your friends leave you after you're broke. Oh, yeah. If you got them with money, once you're broke, they don't, they're not around. They're gone, right? So the friends are gone. Now he's by himself. He came to himself and says, what in the world? Have I done? I took my inheritance. I left. I'm eating with pigs. Oh my goodness, what have I done? And that's coming to himself. We have to have a coming to ourself moment. And he came to himself, and that's when he started talking himself through it. He realized I've sinned against God and my dad. That's what he said to himself before he even went home. And so after he got himself together, when his dad came and hugged him and kissed him, oh, man, it was easy for him to say, Dad, I sinned against God and I sinned against you. Please forgive me. I'll be a servant in the house. Don't even worry about me anymore. You don't have to treat me like a son because I messed up so badly. I'll just be a servant around here. That, that's telling you where his heart is now. That pride that was in him, all of those selfishness that was in him was all gone. He just wanted to go home because he realized that was better for him. But it took him making that bad decision to realize what he had brought upon himself and that that was better for him. He didn't realize it while he was in it. The church is better for you than any place else you can go. 
Let me tell you this. I will offend you at some point in time or many times. Don't let me let you leave the church. Don't let somebody else next to you make you leave the church. Leave the church if I start preaching false doctrine or I'm living in sin. That's what you leave the church for. Because if I'm living in sin, I'm not hearing from God. If I'm preaching false doctrine, then I can't help you. That's, but if I'm preaching the word and it's hurting you and you like, I'm mad about that, stay right in the seat and just, just like get real, just, just start, uh, yeah, preach, I'm not going anywhere. I told you about me. I sat in the front row and when my pastor preached some stuff that was heavy, I got up, keep preaching that preacher. And he was lighting me up. I mean, light me up. Preach it! Yes! Yes! And he was preaching about me. I'm not letting nothing get me out of God's church. It's God's church. And God is my God. And I'm there for him. So I can't let anybody get me off my game. But people nowadays, your feelings get hurt. Man, listen. Our feelings are going to get hurt. And if you leave this place for another place because your feelings got hurt, you're going to get hurt at the next place too. (laughs) We got to understand how to get healed. He figured there was a strong possibility his immature and selfish actions would result in only being reinstated as a servant, not as a son. So here is what he did. He realized by coming to himself and telling the truth, there will be some consequences. That's what we're afraid of. But if I do this, this is going to happen. If I do this, they're going to think this about me. If I do this, they're going to say this about me. Just understand, that's why we say God is merciful. And in the holies of holies, there was the mercy seat. Just realize that's where God's mercy comes in. God will be merciful towards you. Don't worry about people. You would like for people to be more merciful most of the times. But as long as God is merciful, that's what's important. Mm -hmm. So he ran the risk. By going back home and not being a son, but he didn't care. But God just showed you how he operate. That while you was going back to God and saying, whatever you want to do, God, I'm okay with it. I messed up. Whatever you want to do, I'm good with it. Because that's how you come to God when you really, really get it right. Whatever I've done, God, I messed up. I'm not making any excuses. I messed up. Whatever you want me to do, just do. I'm here. And God show us. How merciful he is. Oh, you're still my son. I know you think that I was going to do what you say about being a servant with the servants. No, 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 no. You're not a servant. You are my son. Once you are a son or a daughter, you remain a son or a daughter. God don't disown you. God don't disown you. Doesn't matter what you've done. He don't disown you. What he do need you to do is to restore the relationship, but he don't disown you. All he wants you to do is restore the relationship. God taught me how we restore relationship. 
Listen, the Bible says when we sin against God, we have to repent in order to make it right with God. When you disrespect anybody or you treat anybody wrong, you have to go and get it right, make it right. Go and say, I've messed up. I made a mistake. Go and say, I know I've offended you. Go and say, listen, forgive me, please, because I've done you wrong. We have to learn that. God taught us that. That's how we bridge the gap with him. Because he says sin separate us from him. And so the only way we can get right with him is by confessing our sins. The only way we can get right with each other is to go and make it right. This is why the only way you can get right with other people is when you are right with God. I've sinned against heaven and my dad. You see what he said first. He didn't say I've sinned against my dad and heaven. I've sinned against heaven and my dad. So the bottom line is, if you never get it right with God, you can't get it right with people. We've been trying to get it right with people. Uh, I try to be, man, I, I tried to talk to her, but she just shrugged me off. Did you go to God? Because two things happen when we go to God. When we go to God, God makes us get right in our heart and he will be working on the other person's heart. But you go to the person without going to God, your heart's still not right and that person never got touched by God. So you're creating a mess. So it's important to go to God first. Get it right with God. And I don't mean by just, listen, I've been saying about repentance and you, you all know I talk about repentance a lot. And I keep saying, I got to keep saying this so you all don't misunderstand me. I always say we don't know when people have repented and call on the name of the Lord and ask for forgiveness. That's true. If they really repent, though, you will see changes in their action. So so when someone repents, there's there's changes in their action. So you, we don't go to God and just say stuff and that's it. No, no, no. If you really meant it, your actions will change. The prodigal say, I've sinned against heaven and my dad. And he started making his way home and going to his home and confessing his sins to God. If we're going to become emotionally healed, these are the things that we must take in, in, in account as we try to get ourselves right. Taking responsibility is risky. But it is the only way to begin walking the road to freedom. Taking personal responsibility means admitting you have a problem regardless of who or what caused it. Listen, make no mistake about this in case we don't know this. God will allow somebody to provoke something in you so you can see what's in you. We steady getting mad when God is saying, I allowed them to provoke that. I allowed them to say that to you to see how you're going to respond. And so you can see what's in you because you don't know what's in you because I told you your heart is evil and deceitful and you don't even know what's in your heart. So I'm going to allow people to provoke you so you can see what comes out of your heart so you know what's wrong with you. See how good God is? So everything God does, sometimes it's not what we like. We think this is, oh, this can't be good. No, God sent that person to provoke you. I, you're looking so good, girl. <laughs> but, but God will send somebody to provoke you to see how you respond. 
So every time you respond in an ungodly way, just say, God, thank you. Because what you just learned is you have not uh, got to the point of handling that situation better, of getting over that situation. Because every time it came, you failed. So say, thank you, God, because he's being merciful by letting come around and come around. Because what what will it be like if God keep letting you No. What will it be like if God allows somebody to test you, you fail, but God says, it's okay, just keep going. You see what I'm saying? So when God allows you to keep getting tested, that's his mercy. But we've distorted it thinking, God, why you let me go through this? Because you can't get over it. As soon as you can get over it, when you say, I can do all things through Christ, and you let Christ work in you, and you start getting through it, that's when you know you can move forward. But as long as they keep on getting the same reaction out of you that you're failing, then you stay right where you are. In God's eyes. You might think you're moving. So we got to thank God for us getting provoked at times. Oh, yeah. You got a temper? Oh, God loves that. You got a temper? He going to let people say stuff all the time to get you riled up. You a perfectionist? He's going to let stuff get messed up all the time for you to get frustrated. Why can't they get this together? Because you got to relax sometimes. Oh, (laughs) I love it. You know, we think perfectionist is good. Ain't nobody perfect. God wants you complete in him, not perfect. Because nobody's going to be perfect. When you hear that word perfect in the Bible, it's talking about being complete in Christ. Everything about Christ is in you, working in you. Not that you're perfect, because you can't be perfect. You already messed up so many times. You're not perfect. Never going to be perfect. So don't try to hold nobody else accountable for being perfect. You can hold them accountable for being complete in Christ, but not perfect. And so because you like things perfect all the time, when it doesn't go your way and you get all worked up, God smile. Yeah, my daughter needs a little bit more work. Tomorrow I'll let somebody else mess up her stuff again. See how she responds. <laughs> it is human instinct to retreat when dealing with pain. However, in order to be fully honest with ourselves and begin the process of emotional healing, the story of the prodigal son testified that we must end the self-induced isolation. Stop running. Tell your neighbor, stop running. Uh-huh. 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 And that's, that's, that's way deeper than what I'm saying. Stop running. Stop running means stop just talking to the same old three people you talk to. Stop running means stop running through the door when church over because you're afraid to just talk to people. Stop running means a whole lot of stuff. Stop running. God wants to heal you. And when you run, he can't heal you. You get ready to learn that he will heal you if you stop running. Emotional healing, healing comes through community. God never intended for us to deal with our dilemmas alone. Our shoulders were not built to carry loads many of us carry. Our hearts were not created to bear pain of the disappointment all alone. Our minds were not made to figure out the answer to every problem by 
ourselves. We were created to lean on others and develop or depend on their strength at times. We don't like that because we don't want nobody to see us in weakness. Again, that's your thought. Here's what Jesus says. Galatians chapter 6 verse 1 and 2. Brethren. You know, this is one of my favorite scripture. If a man be overtaken, mankind, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Look at verse 2. Bear ye one another's burden, so fulfill the law of Christ. It is all of our responsibility to be helping our brothers or sisters in some way, shape, or form when they're going through, when they're hurt, when they're wounded. It is all of us, all of us have that responsibility at some point in time. A Christian may be overtaken by a fault or sin by themselves due to their emotional instability or sickness. Listen to this though. But because he or she is a part of the body of Christ, that fault or sin affects the body. Yeah. Yeah. But we want to just treat people any kind of way. And that's your business. They hard-headed. They don't listen. But God says if they're part of the body, if they're taken over by a fault or sin is ruling their life, it's going to affect you in some way, shape, or form. You know what I thought about as challenges, challenging as this is when I read that? Check this out. If a child is born to a family with disability, who is affected in that family? Just just asking the question. And we have people with disabilities in our congregation all the time. And God is asking all of us, help your brother with his disability. Help your sister with her disability. We are to help each other. We are to bear one another's burden. We are to help each other when we're taken over by a fall. We're not supposed to criticize, but we're supposed to help. Jesus has chosen to heal our broken hearts through relationships in safe places where we can be given comfort and a pathway to healing. People need a safe environment for that to happen. I pray to God. That's one of my inspiration and goal for Christ-centered church is that we will be a church where we will not be, uh, we will be a safe place where people feel comfortable that they have a situation going on and they don't feel uncomfortable. Too many churches make people feel uncomfortable with their situation. I, I really don't want to see that in this church. I really want this church to understand the whole concept of Jesus Christ. That when something is wrong with one of us and we know it, oh man, we just show, we, there's an outpouring of love and support and we forget about what they did wrong because here is how I always operate and I think it's a godly way. We can't change anything about what that person have done, but if we can help them to grow in Christ and help them to overcome it, they may never go back that way. So what's the, why are we worried about what they've done? What they've done mean nothing. It's gone. It's done. But what we can do to help them not go back that road, we could do something about that. Focus on what we can do to help them not to go wrong way as opposed to you did that. 
we, we can't do that. Jesus, Jesus, remember this in the Bible. When they brought the woman that was taken over in adultery, Jesus didn't want to know the details, but they said they gave her the details. Yeah, we saw. I can just picture them looking in the window. Yeah, we saw. She did that. Jesus wasn't even thinking about any of the details. Jesus said, either without sin cast the first stone. And all of a sudden, people just started walking away. Jesus didn't, Jesus didn't say to the lady, so who was the dude? Did you know uh, that he had other girlfriends? Did you know he wasn't right? Did we read that? Jesus just said, listen, just go on. Don't sin no more. Just go on. That's why I know it's biblical. When you wallow in, in what that person done, that's of the devil. Satan wants to bring condemnation on you. And how he does that is making you keep feeling terrible and horrible about what you're dealing with. God says, go on and sin no more. I'm going to deliver you. That's how God deals. I don't want to know about the situation. You want to know what they did? Oh, no, I don't want to know what they did. I don't want no details. Because here is the other part that we don't realize. You give me de- details about your stuff, and now I gotta work about. I gotta work with that too when I'm praying. That mess you just filled my mind. I don't want to know your mess. Uh huh. See, that's how I think. I'm not Jesus. So you coming and telling me every detail about something? Now I gotta pray, and I gotta get get vision in my mind about what y'all just told me. Oh, don't bring me mess. Just, just let's talk about how we can help people. Because if we're going to keep on repeating what they've done, we're going to have a, a, a church full of people with mess in their mind. That makes sense. Sound got to work. Jesus didn't want it. Of course he knew, but he didn't want no breakdown of it. He don't need no play by play. He just listen. Just go on and sin no more. God designed us to live in a community with one another. Therefore, relationships are fundamental. I'm almost done here. We are not designed to experience, enjoy, or heal from our emotions alone. We must have relationships with people who encourage us. Relationship with people who guides us. Relationship with people who will pray for us. And keep us accountable on our path to emotional healing. I know some of you think, I got people that encourage me. I got people that help to guide me. Are they praying? And are their prayers being heard in heaven? So that's telling you right away. The person who is supposed to be your encourager and the one that guides you, they must be a Christian. Because they got to be somebody that when they pray, God hears them. So it's one thing to have this one or that one encouraging you and guiding you, but are they praying prayers that is being heard in heaven? And then they must be, you must allow them to be accountable in your, you, you be accountable to them. You've heard me say this before. If you don't have someone that you respect enough that you can be accountable to, Meaning you say you say something to them and says, listen, I'm trying to do this. Check up on me from time to time to make sure I'm doing it. You've got to have somebody like that in your life. Listen to this. 
Dr. Gary Smalley states, life is about relationships. The rest is just details. I've always felt that way. And so when I saw that quote, I said, I'm taking that. Life is about relationships. The rest is just details. So all the other stuff that we battle with is, is gravy. Check on the relationships that you have because that's all life is about, relationships. If you're not doing well in that area, you got to go get healed, emotionally healed. For a community to offer emotional healing, an individual must be able to find a safe place within that community. God's word emphasized in both Isaiah 61 and Luke 4, 4, 18, that the Messiah came to heal the brokenhearted. For this to be accomplished, God's church must offer safe haven for people with emotional pain to heal. God's people must be empathetic to each other. Creating a safe environment for emotional healing does not mean having all the answers, but rather being willing to simply walk with others in their pain. We don't have to have the answers. All we want to do is sometimes somebody's hurting, just sit with them. You know, when somebody loses a loved one uh, through death, I doubt if most of us go talking, we just go and sit. That's probably one of the most uh, funny thing to see is just watch people just sitting around and really not talking because nobody wants to talk because you don't want to say the wrong word. So somebody lose someone and we get around, all we just do is just sit. Sometimes some people are uncomfortable. We're buried tonight. He at work. But I wanted to ask him this because because he can't handle this. So he'll, he'll listen to this. So he'll listen. He'll hear what I said. Barry cannot be in quiet for a long time. He thinks something is wrong with that. The other day he said to me, just him and I in here. And I'm, I'm not saying anything because I'm just, you know, just thinking on the Lord. He said to me, this is funny. He said, you never heard me this quiet this long, huh? I said, I'm trying to train you to be quiet a little longer. <laughs> but, but, but it's nothing wrong with just sitting and just nothing to say. It's okay. Don't let the world tell you you got to always talk. It's okay to sit and be quiet. That's, that's, that's relationship still. The person knows you're there for them. Let them turn around after 10 minutes and say, you still here, huh? Yeah, I'm still here. That's saying a whole lot more than you can realize when you just sit with someone. You're not talking. You just sit there and they're not saying anything and you're not saying anything. But they know that you're there for them. It is important for the church to understand what it takes to foster a community for emotional healing. Paul wrote that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort which we ourselves are comforted by God. That's 2 Corinthians 1 and 4. Let me run through uh, this. Finally, we must remember we serve a God of hope. The last thing that you need for your healing emotionally is hope. Somebody say hope. Let me take three minutes to just run through this. People suffering from emotional wounds are worsened by the lack of hope. If you are hurt, wounded, or sick emotionally, but you don't have hope, it's worse. It's worse. Um, having hope in God given, having hope is a God given trait that allows us to overcome any emotional obstacle. Hope is a gift God has placed within all of us. 
At times, it just needs to be uncovered and encouraged. Let's look at the importance of hope. Paul wrote to the church in Rome, May the God of hope fill you with joy and peace. From the verse of scripture, we can easily conclude that having hope means walking in joy and peace. Listen to this. Dr. Margaret Nagib, in an article titled, The Power and Science of Hope, reports how researchers have discovered that people who exemplify hope enjoy better physical health, perform better academically, have better quality relationships, and have higher self-esteem. A higher level of hope tends to be a better predictor of success than intelligence. So when someone have hope, it's better than you being smart. You can have a whole lot of knowledge, but no hope. But when you have hope with nothing, you're hoping for something. So hope is powerful. And in order to be healed emotionally, hope must be essential and be in the center of what you're trying to get past. So while you're experiencing what you're experiencing and going through what you go, you have to have hope. And we can only have hope in one. When one is seeking emotional healing, hope is the single most important factor to overcoming emotional hurt. A person cannot live without hope. The human body can function for quite a few days without food, but it will shut down much sooner when there is no hope. Emotional pain enhances fear, stress levels, and insecurities. Hope for deliverance drives individuals to seek God for emotional healing. So if you're struggling and you're hurting, if you seek God, you hope that God will heal you. Because that's the only one that can heal you emotionally. He is the guidance. He will use us to help one another. But at the end of the day, he is the one that performed the miracle of healing for your hope. They will seek the safe places to experience the fruit of the Spirit. Someone that have the fruit of the Spirit, when you're seeking a safe place, someone that have the fruit of the Spirit will be able to help you. But at, at the end of it all, God is the only one that provides hope, not people. So you got to realize God will provide the hope that you need. Jesus is the only one worth investing our hope in. What does having hope in Jesus mean to you? I'll leave you with that final question. You don't have to answer it right now. Any questions about emotional healing? Did we cover enough ground for you to understand how you can get healed emotionally? You got to be honest. Starts out with honesty. You got to tear down those barriers. You got to take responsibility. Got to have Hope. Those are things that get you there. And people are trying to get healed emotionally without Jesus Christ. Can't do it. He's the creator and the designer of our life. He knows how to heal you spiritually. He knows how to heal you emotionally. And he knows how to heal you physically.
Any questions tonight? No, I went over a lot of stuff for you to, you got to think tonight. Got to digest and process. Let's just pray for a second here. Father, in the name of Jesus, you know everyone's situation in here. You know what we're all dealing with. You know, Lord God, all of us that are wounded, what we're wounded from. Lord, tonight, all of us take responsibility and say, God, it is our fault that we've allowed this hurt, this wound, this sickness to, to, to happen in our emotions. And so, Lord, we take responsibility. We will not blame whoever we have blamed in the past. But, Lord God, we know we look to you, the author and finisher of our faith. We have all of our hopes stored up in you. And so tonight, Lord God, we make ourselves vulnerable to you. And we say, God, will you begin that work in us to heal us emotionally? That, Lord God, we can be free. That no longer will we run from one another because we're fearful of what someone may know. But that, God, we will be healed. We will be made whole. Whatever we're struggling with, Lord God, that we will not allow that to hold us hostage. There's so many of us in here tonight, Lord. We're struggling, but we won't hide it, Lord God. We will just admit that we're struggling and we need your help. For we can't make it without your help. We can't make it if you don't intervene. So, Lord, we take this opportunity tonight to say intervene and do whatever you want, Lord. I'm not worried about what my brother may think of me. I'm not worried about what my sister may think of me. I'm not worried about what the pastor may think of me or what somebody that I live with may think of me. I just want to be right with you and I want to be healed by you. And I know, Lord God, by being honest with myself, by, by confessing what's wrong, Lord God, by taking responsibility, by hope in you, Lord God, I can be healed, I can be whole, I can be delivered, I can be set free. And so I pray to Tonight, in the name of Jesus, that each and every one of us, Lord God, will experience emotional healing. I pray that every one of us tonight, Lord, will be whole. Oh God, emotionally and no longer be held in captivity and held hostage by our wounded emotion. Tonight, Lord God, I pray in the name of Jesus Christ that the people of God will be whole and healed and delivered and that they will not be intimidated in sharing, Lord God, in the name of Jesus. For Lord, when we share, we can give you the glory to say, I was once sick in my my emotion. I was once hurt by my emotions, but I gave it to Jesus and now I'm whole and I want somebody else to know if Jesus healed me in my emotions, he can heal you in your emotions. And so tonight I pray that somebody will be courageous and bold and honest and that God as they step towards you and I ask for healing, Lord, you will heal them that they can testify of the goodness and the greatness and the mercy of God in the name of Jesus Christ. I pray that somebody will be healed and somebody will testify of their healing emotionally, Lord God, that people will be encouraged to come to you and say, Jesus, I need healing in my emotions. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray, Lord, that you have your way and that God, you will continue to raise us up. Let this church, let Christ-centered church, Lord God, be a safe haven that no 
person will ever feel, Lord God, intimidated or feel ashamed to share and to be who they are and to, oh God, take ownership of what's wrong with them. I pray in the name of Jesus Christ that this church, Lord God, will rise up and be a gold standard for people that are wounded, for people that need restoration, for people that need healing, that we will not be a judgmental church, Lord God, but we will be a church, Lord God, of mercy, a church of kindness, a church, Lord God, that look to you and say, God, heal them.